This episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets. There are some excellent dinners coming up uh, at Zupan's at the Cellar Z on Burnside, the best of Oregon dinner and wine series. They have Friday dates throughout the spring and summer. They're all-inclusive, four-course dinners with wine pairings highlighting the best of food and wine in Oregon. Everybody's going to want to look those up. Yeah, and the one closest to us coming up April 12th, it's the Trawl and Trap Northwest Seafood with pairings from Patricia Green Cellars. So if you want to see the full list of upcoming dates and buy tickets, you need to go to zoopans.com. And while you're there, you want to sign up for the news feed. Mm-hmm. So you sign up there, you get exclusive access to deals, recipes, new items, and more. I always pull up my email as I walk into Zoopans and say, oh, here's what I'm, what I'm going to get for free today. Yeah. So if you were a member of the news feed right now, you'd know that coming up March 22nd through the 24th, free 10 stem tulip bunches with a $20 purchase. So you can make some, we can make some headway with the ladies. Oh yeah, absolutely. You can. <laughs> I, I do exactly what you're doing. I'm walking in, I pull up my news feed, see what's going on. See, you know, see what, see what freebie I get. Right. So now we're on the hook because if we don't bring tulips, right. We're, we're, yeah, we Zoo really pans, dropped the ball. Yeah. Zupans makes it easy for you. Right. And they also make uh, Passover and Easter easy. They have a full menu of items ready to create a beautiful spring celebration spread. Isn't it nice that it's spring now? Oh, yeah. No, there, it's, court? It's, it, this weekend was so crazy awesome. It was and, the, and in fact, I was actually thinking, I'm like, I need to get the deck ready. I need to go to Zupans and get some meat and grill them up. And on your way to Zupans, here's the deal. Here's the beautiful thing. I mm-hmm. just drove in from the coast yesterday. Roll down the windows and you get to drive with the windows open on the way oh, to Zupans. That's the best thing about this time of year. Yep. The news feed, all those great dinners at the uh, Cellar Z on Burnside, all that information can be found at Zupans.com. Of course, you can always stop by your nearest location, McAdam, West Burnside, and Lake Grove. Court, it's time to talk about Portland Knife House. And for those... Uh, folks listening at home, if you're an avid Right at the Fork listener, and we suggest you be one, uh, you can go back to episode 161 with Eitan Zias and really expand on this uh, this ad where we're going to talk about their products. Uh, so cool of Portland Knife House to sponsor our International Women's Month special series of podcasts. And uh, everybody should, we think it's especially appropriate because they're a business that caters to both the consumer market, and also all our industry folks listening to the podcast. Yeah, it's owned and operated by former chefs. And when it comes to like sharpening, repair, or maybe getting a customized knife, this is the place to go in Portland. And the the other reason that it's a place to go is there's no larger selection of of knives in uh, for the kitchen in Portland. And I don't know, and I've been there to check them out. As a matter of fact, I just bought a beautiful uh, bread knife that I couldn't believe I it was as nice as it was. Yeah. It's not, I'm not worthy, but it's absolutely beautiful. Yep. They also offer hands-on sharpening classes. So you could take your knife there to be sharpened or they can teach you how to do it yourself. That's right. And so the best way to find out about those classes, because they do sell out, mm-hmm. is to go to PortlandKnifeHouse.com. But more importantly, head to their showroom on Southeast Belmont on, what is it on? 2637 Southeast Belmont. So that would be on 26th. Or yep. you can call 503-234-6397. Whatever you do, you tell them. You heard it on Right at the Fork. Mm-hmm.
Here we go once again. It's time for Right at the Fork with your host, Chris Angeles from Portland Food Adventures. And there's Court Johnson over there yeah. in, a, in a different studio right now. We're in a different this. studio, yeah. Yeah, it's a nice one. It's got all the kink stuff all over the place, it, which, it, of course, is where you do afternoons. You're taking a little I'm, moment off from your... I'm doing it right now. Yeah, you're taking a little moment off of that. But also, I just got a text from my son, yeah. Austin, who texted me that it's a, a picture at 241 and said, I... Hit 30 years old exactly at 241, well, like, which is so day. Austin. Yeah. yeah so yeah, at 241, yeah. he took a picture to to uh, mark the moment. Yeah. So um, 30 years ago today, I became a... 30 years ago, 20 minutes ago, I became a father. We're recording this oh, we're, just so people aren't confused. I, 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 I say the math going back and forth. Right. Phew. But at any rate, yeah. uh, I'm proud. Well, congratulations to I'm you. Proud. Congratulations you. to him. Yeah, we made it this far. Yeah. I can't believe it. Yeah. So and and for six of those since he was twenty four. Mm-hmm. We've been doing this podcast. It's crazy to think about. Right. And it's the first time we've had guest hosts in the studio to do the podcast for International Women's Month. Yeah. And this would be the last of four episodes that we recorded. Yeah, and we're wrapping it up. And what's nice about this, Chris, is that uh, our guest hosts joy church did such a good job with this interview she kind of did an, a, an intro for us oh so we don't need to do much i was not in the studio i just said yeah. hello to them and yeah. booked out of here yeah so. no she she came she like she it's one of these things i've said this before we've got to be careful with this because sometimes these these guest hosts are better than you and i yes but everybody should know we are now in the mode of Doing, we, we, we actually are going to do pop-up podcasts within the podcast. So yeah. if anybody has an idea where we don't need to spend the time recording and you're recording, just right. get in touch with us. There we we have some idea. We have mm-hmm. some, we have an audience for you to reach. Yep. Um, but at any rate, the audience that will hear this mm-hmm. with Joy Church interviewing Jen Quist, it's kind of Dougie Adams month here on the podcast. He, there's been a lot of talk about Doug. With that said though, this, this, there was only a little bit of Doug talk in this conversation. Good. Cause I didn't know, but the reason I just said that not everybody would know is that Jen Quist uh, is a partner in his Bullard restaurant over mm-hmm. at the Woodlark Hotel, and she also has uh, Abigail Abigail Hall Abigail Hall, um, which looks beautiful. I just saw it for the first time an hour ago. I yeah. was over there at Bullard having lunch to commemorate Doug Adams Month. Nope, sorry, International Women's Month mm-hmm. here. Uh, and the reason I say that also is because uh, last week's episode had Whitney Burnside in, interviewed by Channel 12's Molly Real, more Good Day Oregon's. Molly Real, yep. and of course, of course, Whitney is Doug's fiance. fiance. Yep. So, and then we also had Doug on about a month ago. That's so, right. but anyway, listen to all the Women's Month episodes because they're great. Yonder is opening. By the time people will have heard this, is op- you know it's opening this weekend. Okay. Saturday. So, uh, Brooke Jackson Glidden of Eater interviews Maya Lovelace. That's right. Of May, and then of course we had Lisa Schroeder interviewing. Uh, Lori Wolf. W- Lori Wolf. Thank you. I, mm-hmm. I had it. So Lori Wolf of the um, of Lori and Mary Jane, the cannabis business. Lisa Schroeder, awesome to take her from the kitchen and make her a podcast host for oh, a yeah. week. So that was fun. Yep. But at any rate, this week's episode, you've told me, is fantastic. I can't wait to hear it along with everyone else. But before we actually get to the interview, Chris, let me quickly say here, if you want to learn more about Joy Church, our great guest host, uh, go to jcplayswithfood.com. She's a culinary coach. She helps food and beverage brands grow. So, um, And she helps launch them. So jcplayswithfood.com. And now, that interview. Right at the Fork is proud to be supported by Zupan's Markets. 
For over 40 years, unsurpassed quality from the best meats and wines to the freshest baked goods, flowers, and more, with a delicious emphasis on locally sourced items. The best of the Northwest Bounty can be found at your closest Zupans on West Burnside, McAdam, or Lake Grove. And at Zupans.com, eat well, put taste first, love your food. By Ringside Steakhouse. Owned by the Peterson family for generations, Ringside Steakhouse has long been a landmark of the Portland landscape, featuring impeccable service that has set the standard for nearly 75 years. Enjoy the finest aged steaks, their world-famous onion rings, and even Ringside's legendary late-night happy hour. Whether it's a special occasion, a business dinner, or just a great night out, make a reservation at ringsidesteakhouse.com today. By Portland Food Adventures, inviting you to listen to Right at the Fork, episode number 170 with Proud Mary Coffee's Nolan Hurdy. Then imagine yourself eating and sipping your way through Melbourne, Australia, this April for nine incredible days of VIP treatment at Nolan's favorite places in Proud Mary's home city. Also, tempt yourself with an incredible Italian food vacation with Astri Enzyme and a wonderful October journey to Bologna and Emilia Romagna. It's all at PortlandFoodAdventures.com under the Trips tab. Contact right at the Fork host Chris Angeles for more information and special savings on these PFA food journeys. By Gen Air Quality Appliances at Standard TV and Appliance. Standard TV and Appliance is your source for the best of Gen Air and associated brands, where you can check out the latest technology in appliances like Gen Air's remote access ranges with a host of other cool features for your upgrade or remodel. Gen Air and Standard, both staples in Oregon and Washington kitchens since 1947. And by Portland Knife House. Dedicated to equipping the professional and home cook alike, offering knife sharpening, repair, sales, and education in Southeast Portland. Owned and operated by former chefs with by far the largest selection of kitchen knives in Portland with a focus on Japanese knives. See them for yourself at their Southeast Belmont showroom and store or at PortlandKnifeHouse.com. It's us. Okay. Free for all. All right. I like it. Okay. So we are on, right? Wow, this is so much fun. My name's Joy Church, and I'm here at Right at the Fork today with Jen Quist, who's my guest for Women's History Month. So Chris asked uh, me to take over the mic today, and I'm really excited about that. And in thinking about who I wanted to interview, uh, Jen came to mind immediately. I think she's a major powerhouse in Portland and around the country. And then I asked Jen if we could talk that over a little bit, and I became even more enamored of her work. And so I'm here with her today to talk about her professional experience and her life experience and to get into Women's History Month. And hi, Jen. Thanks for being here. Hi, Joy. Thanks. Well, that was quite the introduction. That was so kind of you. And um, I feel very honored to be here. Thank you. Well, thank you for doing this. I, um, You've been around the Portland scene for a long time, mm-hmm. but in particular around the Woodlark Hotel, mm-hmm. I think that's been an ongoing piece of excitement for the Portland community and for tourists in general. Mm-hmm. Um, you're the co-founder and partner with Doug Adams mm-hmm. of the Woodlark Hotel. Uh, of Holler Hospitality. Holler yes. Hospitality. Yes. Thank you for yep. the correction. <laughs> no problem. And um, with that, I imagine that your years of expertise in what we've got, food, real estate, mm-hmm. hospitality, all of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, have you seen a, probably a lot of interesting stuff between men and women, I would bet? Oh, for sure. <laughs> I've had a few different careers, that's for sure. Um, real estate you touched on, um, you know, some client services work in there as well. And then uh, the restaurant world. 
Um, so absolutely there's that dynamic. Um, <laughs> I find it fascinating that, so for myself, I've been working on this women and cocktails mm-hmm. article for a week or so. And in asking women to share their experiences, so I've been targeting um, mostly women bartenders here in Portland, and I find it really interesting that they either, there are a few categories, women who will not talk about gender at all, Mm -hmm. and then there are women who say, there's, you know, the phrase male, male dominated, male domination Mm -hmm. here in Portland, and they don't talk much about it, but they certainly make a point of mentioning that that's something that they're struggling with. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're more excited to have more women in the business to have collaboration and community. But it's pretty soft mm-hmm. in the way they talk about it. So I find that fascinating that we don't like to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um Anyway, I don't know if you've got anything to add to that. about. Sure. I mean, and I get it. There's so many different ways to look at it. And I think that we're in such an interesting time where... You know, this conversation has really started over the last couple of years. It's been around forever, but I think for us, it's really picked up steam in the last couple of years, and we're looking at it a little bit differently than we maybe did before, and um, so there are different ways to view it. And for me, I've been pretty fortunate in my career, um, in any career that I've had, um, but as an adult, to work with some great men. So for me, it has actually been a little bit more on the genderless side. Um, you know, I just focused on being professional and and getting to the next step in my career and, and, and all of those pieces. But with that said, you know, as this conversation has kicked up a bit more, you notice it, um, absolutely. And I think also as I go further in my career, I notice it more, like as a leader and as someone, you know, who runs a company with a man, I see it um, also, you know, a bit more. So, again, there are different ways to view it and it can get confusing at times. And so for me, you know, I just try to focus on um, trying to be as professional as I can and trying to understand when things are off and when there is not a balance and where I want to kind of like put the spotlight on it a little bit more for me to learn in the conversation um, and also to maybe educate someone in the conversation. Right. And like specifically on that, like emotion, you know, emotion is a really interesting thing as a woman and in a woman in a position um, of, you know, running a company. And, you know, I can sometimes be looked at as emotional when I'm just trying to protect my company, let's say. Right. But it, like you would never say that to a man, like that he's being emotional, you right. know, which is so interesting. So do you get that comment then I sometimes? Do. You do. Can I you do. give us examples without um, divulging you know, too much? I think it's just, you know, it, it's it's more just the day-to-day, you know, of, of um, managing so much, at least, you know, within our current project, um, whether it's a guest and I'm trying to protect a staff member or, you know, it's a another situation of a client coming in for an event or whatever it is, but... You know, I I find it very important to protect my company and my staff and all of that. And sometimes that could be viewed as emotional. And so what I do is I check it and I look at, you know, the way that my tone is and the words that I choose in an email or whatever it is. And so I'm like heightened, you know, I, I have this awareness about it a bit more um, to make sure that it's not emotional. It's me being professional. It's me being a leader, you know, among the people that 
are, you know, I work with every day. Um, and so me, me feeling okay about the words that I'm choosing and the tone that I use, even if it might not feel that way to the other person. Does that make sense? Of course. Yeah. It's very interesting, isn't it? That, you know, we try to touch and check on our speech around emotion. I mm-hmm. think that is very common for women. Mm-hmm. I don't think uh, that, I mean, I, I don't know this, of course, for a fact, but I don't think that men really worry about that as much. They don't. So when they're emotional, let's say, you know, a typical resp- response might be anger. Um, that is then completely acceptable and relevant. Mm-hmm. And there is no need to check it because we are we should also respond to that. Right. So that I find to be a frustration potentially. Totally. Um you know, keeping it professional. I just recently met with a potential client who um, I very rarely work with men, actually, but um, he wanted to meet. So we did a consultation. Um, and for me as a culinary coach, I oftentimes give away too much information mm-hmm. initially during a, a one-on-one. But um, he was writing all of these notes and, oh, Joy, this is great information because I hadn't thought of monetizing my company in this way, et cetera, et cetera. And at the end of the conversation, when we were talking about whether we should work together, mm-hmm. he said, well, the value, Joy, that I see you bringing to my company is that you're a social butterfly. <laughs> I was like, really? <laughs> okay. So. That's what we took it down to. That's yeah. what we took it down to mm-hmm. after, you know, him saying, wow, oh, this is, you know, we're talking about mm-hmm. being able to monetize from zero to six figures in eight weeks. But what it came down to mm-hmm. was that I have connections and I'm a social butterfly. Yeah. I just thought. Am I not supposed to think you would not say this to a man right now? Right. Come on. Right. Of course. <laughs> I mean, and that's, that's w- right. That's where you go. And I think for me, what I've done, you know, because I have to push through, right? Because like, I've got to carry this on every day and I cannot get bogged down with those frustrations. And right. I know all women deal with this. And so, you know, you have to literally look at it and push through and be like, that's on you, not on me. And that's what I was saying before. Like, I have to think about, like, I'll check myself. And right. I'll, if I'm doing the things that need to get done for a situation at hand, then that's all that matters. And, like, I, I've, that's the only way that I can get through it. Otherwise, I'm going to get bogged down by all of the frustrations of it. And, of course, it's frustrating. And, of course, it gets me down. Right. And, of course, you know, it, it, like, it weighs on you sometimes. But at the end of the day, you know, like... I'm so proud to, you know, be a woman and be where I am. And like, if I can, again, you know, check myself on that and know that I'm doing the right thing, it's really all that matters. Right. I think that's a great way to look at it. And so can you walk us through a little bit about your story? Because you have so much expertise and, um, you know, decades of expertise at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you get started? How did this end up being where you're at today? It's uh you know, it's a long road, which I, I love. I look at my career as like building blocks. Um, but I started, as you mentioned, in real estate um, after college. And at the same time, I would do a lot of catering on the side because I always loved food. More importantly, I loved hosting. I grew up with a amazing mom and grandma who are both great hosts. Um, and so I knew that food was always like a passion of mine, but um, I was in the real estate world. And when I decided that that wasn't really for me anymore, I ended up going to culinary school a little bit later in life and moved to New York and went to the French Culinary Institute. And um, I really did that because I wanted to have a catering business and I wanted to have something substantial education-wise behind me before I like launched into a business, you know. Um, and and bef- so before I set out to do that, I, you know, wanted to be strong in my knowledge base, I guess. 
And that just then like, you know, snowballed into so many other um, experiences. So I then became a line cook at Mercer Kitchen in New York um, for a while. And then after that, um, the the oddball job, I think that also like really set me on a path was um, I handled all of the catering for Saks Fifth Avenue, their flagship store um, in New York. And it's an oddball job because it probably taught me the most. Um, but when I say that to people, they just don't understand it. And it's because we brought a fresh approach to their catering program um, where we would do 3,000 events a year in one building. I saw that on your bio. I know. Like, it's how insane. does that happen? It happens. <laughs> and it's so crazy. And it's not a made up number. And, you know, it's just it's this. It's this huge building, 10 floors of retail, but all of this office space along with it. And so we would have breakfasts and cocktail parties and dinners and everything. And we were a really small team. And so I, and I was on the kitchen side, but, you know, I had like my background in catering, like management a little bit. And so I kind of put it all together at that point in that job. And it was the hardest like year and a half I think I've ever had, or at that point, I guess not not so much today, (laughs) but it was it was incredible. I mean, like I learned how to, you know, create programs and to really work with clients and to manage multiple things at once and learned that managing multiple things at once was really what I loved to do. So it was like this very dynamic job that, you know, might not sound like the most exciting or award-winning, you know, chef job, but it gave me a lot and it like really set my platform, I feel like for, you know, where I went from there. Yeah, 3,000 so, events, right, in yeah. each year. That's intense. It was. It was crazy. So do you have any um, special memories of that? Like some really outrageous event that you did or something that fell apart or was really perfect? Or? Well, I mean, it was this. It was wild because, you know, you're in a department store and we would have to do. And these floors, if anyone has or hasn't been there, they're like professionally designed and massive. And so there are some beautiful floors. And um in the building and so we would do these you know like $75,000 cocktail parties and whatever for Gucci or whatever it was and but yet we would be putting the food together like in an elevator shaft so it was unbelievable it was like catering at its like extreme you know as people who cater like you just you never know what you're going to get where you're going to be this was like okay I'm in an elevator shaft I've got a hot box I've got to have this beautiful food go out and you just had to make it happen every single time. And we did. And that was what was really cool about it. I mean, like logistics wise and, you know, making sure that like our what we were putting out there was like at the very top was was in an experience in and of itself. It sounds like it. And so you were there for what, a year and a half? Yeah, a little bit over the. Yeah. And then what what made you leave that? I mean, I'm sure you were exhausted. I was exhausted. Um, I did a little private chef work after that and then decided I really needed to get back to the West Coast. And an opportunity came up to move to Portland. And while I grew up in California, the majority of my family is really from the Pacific Northwest. My parents are both from the Pacific Northwest. And my grandma lived in Lake Oswego my whole life. And so, and my cousins all live here. So Portland was always my home. It always felt like more of my home than the Bay Area. Um, and so an opportunity came up here to help with some restaurants here. And then from that, um, have my own first restaurant of Riffle um, within that opportunity. So that's it all kind of like really happened quickly um, to where we moved out here. And and then kind of Riffle was 
born about a year after moving here from New York. And so Riffle came about what it opened, what, 2008? Mm-hmm. Is that right? Uh, yeah. And it was seafood concept. Mm-hmm. Sustainable were, seafood. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And it was short lived. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. I mean, for the people in my life still today, I probably still talk about it every day. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> They're saints for listening to me um, all these years later. But um, it was, uh, you know, it was a passion project. It was a very personal project. Um, it was something that, you know, I still obviously love dearly. And um, it was focused around sustainable seafood. And, you know, I moved out here and we we came up with that concept because it just seemed crazy to not have seafood in a town that is so close to the coast. And I grew up going to the coast. The coast is like my favorite place on the planet. And so it just, I grew up also fly fishing. My dad's a fly fisherman. Um, this, you know, it just all of the pieces pointing to wanting to do a concept like that. But I quickly learned, you know, that um, there's a reason why there's not a seafood restaurant on every corner in Portland. Um, So, you know. And what is that reason? I I mean, (laughs) there are so many, actually. You know, it's an expensive product. It's getting the product into the city. I mean, there's just a number of things. But that was a really great learning experience. Like, it's just not so easy to get, you know, fresh seafood. And and that was like our, the the main part of Riffle is that we, you know, never had frozen fish in house. And so, you know, we brought everything in whole and all of those pieces. And that's labor intensive. That's expensive, you know. And so Riffle was and will forever be like, you know, my first and like my love. I mean, I, again, not a day goes by that I probably don't mention it. And the people involved in it, you know, are still close in my life. And it was an amazing time for all of us. Um, But it was like one of those moments in my career where I got knocked down. And it was really important for me to understand, all right, I don't know it all. And let's regroup and figure out why this didn't work out. And it's because I skipped some steps probably, you know, and I need to learn how to run a business better. So that then launched into like, you know, the next and the next and the next for me because it was just, but it, but it was really important. Like you lose something that major, it's so devastating. And once you get out of that funk of devastation, it's like, okay, why didn't that work out? Like, let me be really clear here. And, and you stop blaming everyone else and you take on the responsibility. And yes, I mean, it was a lot of it had to do with a poor partnership, but also what was my role in it, you know? And so that was the probably for my career the biggest lesson that i've had for sure right i can see that let's pause just a brief moment here chris talk about one of our favorite places in town to eat ringside steakhouse as a matter of fact if you're listening to this after what five i think earlier on a sunday you might want to just uh listen on your way right to ringside oh sure because they have sunday and monday they have some great deals going on check out their website they have the prime rib dinner on monday night oh man it's so good and uh then they have three course meals you got to check out but i'll tell you what uh of course we've made friends with the owner of um ringside craig peterson Mm -hmm. in the family for 75 years and i was having a little text chat with him the other day and he suggested i try the grass fed filet okay which i'd never order a filet it just doesn't for me it doesn't have enough flavor sure doesn't have the fat to have the flavor and it's always you know all six ounce little yeah in this case it's eight ounces but he said to me just he said it's his favorite thing on the menu at ringside that's coming from the owner right 
Actually, I, I wonder if he's going to be happy that I say that. But yes, I mean, it's a good thing to order. Is, is, are you saying that's kind of like picking your favorite kid? Yeah, exactly. He's picking his favorite cut exactly. of meat. Yeah, he doesn't want to convince you that there's something sure, else I'm isn't sure, as good. I'm sure it kind of depends on the season and just, you know, because it, it, we all have our favorites that go and, get, you know, come and go. So. Right. Yeah, no, but no, he said this. He loves it. And it's specially sourced. They source it from the same folks as Zupant. Oh, nice. As I said, I never ordered a filet. I did. I said, well, Craig suggested it. I'll try it. It was fantastic. Very flavorful, tasty. And for someone who's watching their cholesterol a little bit, there was no fat sure. yeah. at all. And I didn't go for the lobster mashed potatoes, which I usually do. Yeah. Just had a baked potato, a little onion soup to start, and it was a delicious meal mm-hmm. so i like changing it up when i go to ringside that was a nice change a little, little grass-fed filet if you've got plans to uh, do something in downtown whether it's going to a show going to the theater going to a blazers game whatever you're doing make ringside steakhouse your first stop before you go there or the stop afterward i'm also going to say if you're going to and i would never have never said anything like this before a timbers game oh yeah. it's right near it's yeah, right, it next, there right nearby go. yep you can set up reservations at ringsidesteakhouse.com do it Hey, Chris, we'd like to welcome back to the uh, program, right at the Fork, our great sponsor, Gen Air at Standard TV and Appliance. Yeah, it's awesome. They were with us a couple of years ago, but appropriate now, both in their, uh, both started in 1947, and just last year, Gen Air launched a beautiful series of new appliances. They really upgraded everything. They have two lines, Rise and Noir for you to check out at Standard TV and Appliance. Tell us a little bit about them, Court. Well, both of these lines connect to Wi-Fi so that you can use them using your Amazon Alexa or maybe you've got a Google-assisted enabled device like a Google Home. Connect and control appliances remotely. Like if you want to set the uh, oven before you get home, you can do that. Get real-time notifications. You can contact Gen Air Call Center through them. And get this, get a recipe from Yumly through the device. More than one. You yeah. can do a few of them. And not only that, you can attach your dishwasher to Amazon and get get lo- dishwasher detergent delivered w- without even thinking about it. Nothing is worse than running out of dishwasher detergent and not realizing it, but your dishwasher or your washing machine are going to know this. Absolutely. So both the Noir and Rise line feature irresistible interiors illuminated by cinematic and chef's lighting, which is really cool. you got to see these. Smooth racks and flat tines, an expanse of dark glass. Really easy way for you to check out these lines. You can Google search Gen Air Rise or Gen Air Noir. That's one way to check these out, but there's an even better way to do it. Let's go down to Standard TV and Appliance. They have four locations, mm-hmm. one in Beaverton, two in Portland. The showrooms are beautiful, and you'll be able to see them. Uh, not only in the showrooms, but on the on the showroom floor, and uh, also one in Bend for our millions of listeners out that way. Mm-hmm. So Jen and I were talking earlier in the lobby um, about when you're you have a really personal project and it's really important and it's so can be so challenging to have get any feedback. And even though you say you want feedback about a project mm-hmm. that you're working on, hearing it, you know, the ego can flare up and it can be impossible. Mm-hmm to really move the project forward and how it can be so challenging but is absolutely necessary to true growth um, personally and financially to be able to listen to those, to listen to that feedback, put the ego away and really take it to heart and do exactly what you said, to take it back and think, okay, you know, what was my part in it and how can I change that Mm -hmm. for the future? Mm -hmm. And without that, I don't think you can, you know, you're going to continue to stumble, right? I mean, that's our... For all of us, it's that's a big learning experience, I think, mm-hmm. and one that can continue to trip us up. Right, for sure. 
I mean, you can just, you, I mean, I could have stayed in that loop for so long of like blaming my partnership and, you know, Portland not being ready or, you know, whatever it was, whatever the stupid thing I was thinking that day. But really, like, if I wanted to grow in my career, I had to think about my part in it. Um, you know, and so my my dad actually probably, I don't know, six months after we closed, because it was a big part of my family too, Riffle was. And so it was like hard for all of us to really lose it. And he was like, write, you know, the 50 things that you learned. And it took a long time to make that list. But like a lot of it pointed back to me. And so that was, you know, okay. I really need to think about like what I didn't do right here and where I can be better. Um, you know, if I want to stick in this industry and I want to make it, you know, and if I want to continue to grow, I've got to learn from what I didn't do. Right. And so do you think that um, now, you know, this kind of the, the idea with your dad of saying, hey, write down the 50 things. Mm-hmm. Do you still have things? So, you know, you're crossing them off the list, right? Getting better and better at everything. Do you still have a couple of things that continue to trip you up? Sure, of course. I mean, it's just, you know, it's all part of learning and it's all part of learning, honestly, now, like how to properly run a business, you know, with my partner. And um, yeah, there are definitely things. I mean, it's, it, but the most important thing, like we've been talking about is just being aware of what you still need to learn. I might not even know it yet, but like if something comes up next week and I'm like fighting against something, Okay, that's probably something that I need to learn how to do better, you know? Right. Um, and so, yeah, one of the big ones, like we just touched on, is ego and getting feedback. You know, Doug and I, my business partner, Doug Adams, and I have been really clear with our friends and guests and everyone when they come into Bullard or Abigail Hall to let us know. Be honest, be brutally honest. And it might sting at first, absolutely. And you have that like instant, like, no, 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 no. But it's like, okay, reel it back, like get your ego out of the way and let's think about this because if we wanted to be in this for the long haul, we have to listen to people and we don't know, again, we don't know it all. We don't have all of the answers. Like, you know, the restaurant industry is really hard. Running a business is really hard. And if we don't listen to people when they're trying to support us by giving us critical, you know, feedback, then what's the point, you know? Right. Really. It's not sustainable that it's way. It's just right? not. Yeah. It's like people will come in once, maybe twice, right. and then it's over. Right. Because right. you're not listening. List and, right. So. And do you think that there will come a time with this, with your new projects that they will maintain on their own? Or do you see that as like, you know, uh, I don't know how to say this, but, you know, do you think that at some point you'll be able to really step back from it and move into something else or you'll be constantly, constantly changing or the second that it seems to be going well you'll add a new element that you've got to fix well we're crazy (laughs) and so like we probably would do that (laughs) like where we would be like oh it feels so good we actually we do do that all the time oh it feels so great all right let's throw in brunch um you know i mean that that happens but you know what what we set out to do we've been business partners for two years now and what we set out to do from the very beginning and we're very conscious of it every day with the decisions that we make is to create a sustainable restaurant and a sustainable bar excuse me and to to find the people who can help us to create that and to create a team that can support that so we can move to the next and you know who knows what the next is um but we talk about it all the time but we're not going to go there until we feel solid about where we are now but it's really 
you know, one of the things that I love working um, about working with Doug is, you know, um, being a mentor to people and to really like grow the people who are working with you every day. And, um, you know, that will create a more sustainable, you know, restaurant. And so hopefully the goal is, yes, to be able to step away. I mean, we could always continue to tweak. We're, we're again, we're crazy people. Like we'll always find something, but, you know, putting the right people in place and putting a business that we're really proud of in place and a menu that feels really solid and all of those pieces and, you know, hospitality that feels really strong and having that culture there. Um, I think that once, you know, you hopefully get that in place, um, we can move to the next for sure. Right. Well, that's why I part of, you know, I was so impressed that at Abigail Hall, first of all, by the name, mm-hmm. um, because, you know, we had the suffragette in the Portland area, uh, Abigail Dunaway, who mm-hmm. was so important um, for women's rights. And so it was a really amazing nod, I mm-hmm. thought, that you named it Abigail Hall. And then for Women's History Month to do this whole cocktail menu mm-hmm. with your bartenders, having them choose a person of mm-hmm. influence for them and creating a drink around that. So I was hoping you could talk a little bit about it, but I'm sure. so impressed that you, you know, with this new opening have take, took the time to, um, to focus on that and really make it a priority. And um, I think it's really impressive. So for people that are listening, if you haven't been, it run, is running through the end of the month. It is. Yes. Um, it's 10 different drinks. They're named after, you know, some of them are really fun. They're named after Lucille Ball. Um, some are more serious and they're all delicious. The ones I've had um, have been great. And um, the property is absolutely beautiful. Abigail Hall is really special. The food is amazing. Oh, but if you could fun. talk a little bit about why you bothered to um, take do this, do this extra piece, that sure. would be great. Well, you know, Abigail Hall is so special um, to me. Um, it, you know, it's been such a fun project to put together and, uh, of course, um, the name of it comes from Abigail Scott Dunaway, like you mentioned, the first woman to cast a vote in Multnomah County, among a gazillion other things that we could talk about with her and what she's done for women. Um, but also, it was the ladies' reception hall. The, our actual bar was in the ladies' reception hall of the Cornelius Hotel back in 1907. Um, and so we took hall from ladies' reception hall and Abigail and combined it, and there you go. Um And so there's just this spirit that lives within the room, um, you know, of of Abigail Scott Dunaway or just, you know, women in general. And so I obviously knew that we needed to do something for the month, but we did just open. And so we wanted it to be something that was like fun and playful and, you know, could really we could last. It could last for the month, but there wasn't like too much programming around it or anything like that. We just had to obviously be smart about it. But we wanted it to have this like celebratory feel. And so um, I asked all of our staff to pick one woman who inspired them and um, to write me a little copy on why. And um, and then our, you know, bar manager, Daniel Osborne and Jeffrey Dillon, um, our lead bartender, they really worked with everyone to put these cocktails together. And they're, they're just great. And, you know, I've said this before, but the thing that really like kind of was so heartwarming to me was that all of our staff really thought about the woman that they chose. And it's so sweet. Like they, they didn't just pick the obvious people, you know, there's something really like there's, there's meaning behind each one, which is so cool. Um, you know, that they really took it seriously. And, um, and we, we've been posting their stories on Instagram throughout the month so people can go and check them out and you'll read their exact copy of, you know, like why, why they chose this woman. 
And it's pretty cool to see. Yeah, I think it's really fun. And it's also educational. It is. You know, I realized that there of these 10 drinks, there were some people when I had not heard of before. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I started Googling and mm-hmm. I was like, okay, this is not only am I enjoying my cocktail, but I'm, I'm learning, learning a little something. <laughs> it's Women's History Month. So that's pretty cool, too. You know, Amelia Earhart on there. Exactly. It's taken me. I mean, I haven't I haven't looked her up in a while, but that just I mean, it was pretty cool to see everyone really digging deep and finding, you know, a woman who matched them, you know, as far as like the things that are important to them. I really loved that. Yeah, I think it's great. It's, mm-hmm. And I again, I don't know that anybody of anyone else doing that right now. So it's I uh, commend you for doing that. Thank you. Um, well. And I also, speaking of cocktails, I wanted to mention uh, and talk a little bit about the uh, Multnomah Whiskey li- Library. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I I don't know that I I don't I didn't realize that you'd been associated with that. Oh yeah. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> and it's like still such a hit, right? Yeah. It's just huge. Definitely. Um, can you talk a little bit how you? how you created the concept and where things stand today? Sure. I did not create the concept. I cannot take any credit for that. Um, I opened it and ran it for a few years, but um, it was pretty much in place when I was brought on to the team. Um, I had just closed Riffle. The owner of the Whiskey Library, who was also at the time the owner of Produce Row, brought me on as uh, director of operations for both, for Produce Row and for the Multnomah Whiskey Library. Um, And so I was brought in, I think, originally like, a few days before the library was supposed to open and I came in and I was like, nope, we need two weeks. And so, um, I mean, they had already done so much putting the program together. It was like unbelievable to see. I'd never seen anything like it. I mean, and still to this day, I'm in awe of what was put together for that place. Um, but it was incredible to be a part of that experience for sure. I mean, I talk about something after, you know, I mentioned earlier with Riffle being knocked down and having to learn a lot, I learned a lot there. Um, you know, the owners of the Whiskey Library are incredible people um, who are like family to me. And they, you know, you know, they wanted me to be a part of this. But like, oh, my God, I just am so grateful to them every day for the opportunity that's, opportunities that it gave me. For something to be so different for Portland that when I was so jaded after Riffle, I was like, whatever, no one's going to go there. It's just going to be this fancy place like memberships. You're crazy. And it was like, God, I couldn't have been more wrong. And it was because of all that people put into it. I mean, the bartenders there and the education, um, you know, that they receive at the Whiskey Library and the hours that they put in. It was just like it's it's an incredible place. There's a reason why, you know, it's lasted as long as it has at the level that it is. You know, that's what's really crazy to me. It was I said Saks was the hardest. The Multnomah Whiskey Library is by far the hardest. That oh, was, really? oh yeah, it's a beast of a program, you know, with everything that um, goes on there between events, memberships, education, that wall of spirits. I mean, it is a lot and people don't sometimes realize like how massive it is. So for everyone who has worked there, who's still working there, I mean, it's it's a big one. And, um, you know, we're we're all very grateful for the experience, but whoa, it put us like, through the paces, for sure. Right. Don't you think it's interesting, you know, when you're doing something really well, that, you know, if you're doing hospitality well, that it, it tends to be, think, people think that it's effortless for you. Yeah. It's like, right. And you it's have like, no. no idea. <laughs> this is not effortless. It just, I'm glad it appears effortless. Right. However, um, you know, and so people sometimes, they kind of can complain about pricing or what have you. It's like, you have, you know, 
there's a lot that goes into the back end of right. making it seem there's a lot of institutional institutional knowledge, constant training, upgrading, right, that's happening in the back. Totally. That people, as the guest experience, you know, they don't see that, but effortless is not. No, and that's why it's crazy. When you think about restaurants in this city that have been around for a good while, it's like I'm in awe because it is so much work. There is there's so much thought that goes into every single bit of your experience as a guest in a restaurant or a bar. It is unbelievable. And so that's really what I do every day. You know, I'm I'm more operations in the business side of everything now. And but also, yeah, the hospitality and the culture as part of it too. But um it is it is it's a lot. And it's it's I I just I'm again, I'm in awe of so many people in this city who really put the effort in every day and who take it seriously and who care about it as a business and what they're putting out there, you know, for for their guests that come in. For sure. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so about back rounding back to Women's History Month again, are there some people, players right now in Portland, women that you are in particularly, you know, you're enamored with right now or you're in awe of, um, you know, does anybody, are there people that really stand out? Um, I know I'm putting you on the I spot know. for, for I sure. Mean, <laughs> well, no, I, you know, there's, there's so many and, and our community is really small. And so the people that I say are friends also, you know, who I'm so excited for. I mean, I'm just trying to think. I, I'm sorry. I'm, I know. I, I really put you on the spot. No, it's fine. <laughs> um, you know, I, I someone who I've recently started working with a bit more is Naomi Pomeroy, which is obvious. I understand. But, um, you know, Naomi has her flower, flower shop or an outpost at Woodlark and so Calibri. So that's just been really cool to see and to see her more and um, her whole team, Bianca, her partner and all of those people. It's just really cool to see that someone isn't is is doing something different than just, you know, being in the kitchen and taking on um, a whole new, really cool um, concept in business. Um, I'm excited for Maya Lovelace and Yonder that's coming up. That's so exciting. Um, yeah, I just think it's a, a great time for you know, our, our scene in general. And, um, you know, my friends continue to, who are in the industry continue to impress me, um, with the jobs that they have and how they're pushing and they're, I mean, they're all basically in the industry, but that's really cool too. And I know I'm on the spot and trying to think of people. No, you're, um, you're good. Those are excellent names to mention. I know. I'm, yeah. You know, and so, you know, with the Portland scene, I've been here long enough that I tend to forget that we are in a pocket Yes. And it isn't like this, even, you know, if you drive 15 miles away, things are different. Right. But um, I think that you're probably much more well-traveled than I am at this point. (laughs) Um, Do you do you still really see the major differences between Portland and other cities? I do. And I don't. Um, It's interesting. Like, I would say our biggest difference. Well, no, I don't know. I I mean, I do. I think we're becoming so much more of a sophisticated city, for lack of a better word. I don't know if that's what I would use, but we're growing up. And so I think that, you know, the difference for me that I would always see more was that we were so unbelievably creative and ahead of so many other cities. But like the the business side of things weren't necessarily there. And so like I'm seeing Portland like mature in that way, which is really cool, um, where like people are like, really taking ownership of their business. And it feels like something more stable as opposed to like a fleeting concept. 
Right. You know, we still can have those like brilliant moments, but now there's like people there to help you create like a solid business out of it. I don't know if that makes sense, but I'm seeing that more. Like we just didn't feel as like, and not in a negative way, but like grown up, you know, compared to other cities as far as like really making sure that the business was solid along with that like really cool idea. And so I'm seeing us, you know, become more, I guess, strong in that way. Right. I think that, you know, in the time I've been here, which has been, wow, a long time now, 16 years or so. Wow. I know. How did that happen? Um, <laughs> uh, I don't know if I've ever lived anywhere as long, but um, that I think of Portland as it's a it's a big town, a right. small city. Mm-hmm. Right? And so we are starting to become a real city. Yes. And I hope that we don't lose the innovation and creativity that mm-hmm. happens while maintaining, like you said, the balance of really you know, collaborating and becoming businesses that are mm-hmm. strong. They're not a fly by night. You know, the expectations that will be open for years to come. Mm-hmm. It, it isn't just something that, oh, it may work or it may not. Mm-hmm. Um, and that as we define our our version of success isn't always the same. Right. You know, so I do realize that with people that, um, with clients that I work with, they tend to, I think we all do this, we tend to think of success in one way. So let's say that you have a successful pop-up restaurant and so some, everyone says, well, you, you need to open a yeah, restaurant, like, right? right, right? We're, we're both rolling our eyes right now. Like that yeah. is not always the way to do it, no. right? And so you make this assumption that you're, okay, well, we've sold out, you know, 10, 15 pop-ups. So we should, yeah, we should start looking for a lease. Really? You know, mm-hmm. I, I often encourage people to re- kind of step back and decide if that's really right for them or is it just the pressure of thinking that that's the only option? Right. Because it's a lot, as you of course, really, really no. It's so much to get into totally. and it doesn't have yeah. to look the same. No. And, you know, I can, after the whiskey library, I consulted for a few years and that was a big, the, the cornerstone of why I was consulting and what I was out there to do was to help, you know, I was going to pop-ups left and right and people would be like, can you come and help me? Can you, you know, let's find a space. And what I did was it like, it became more and more of what I was doing regularly with you know, clients was talking them out of it and, you know, and really being like, you're not ready for this and that's okay. You know, that's fine. You don't, you know, it's, it's always like the riffle thing that comes back to me. That loss was so extreme, but that was one of the reasons why, like, I would say, don't do it. I don't want anyone else to feel this. It's not fun. It's heartbreaking, you know? So think about why you want to do this. Are you ready for this? Eight times out of 10, not so much, you know, and so um, it doesn't have to look the same way for everyone and be very clear on, you know, really what your end goal is. Stick with those pop ups if that's really what makes you happy, you know, and you're not ready for the like, oh, man, all the stuff that comes along right. with a brick and mortar. Yeah, it's you know, like, oh, you really want to sign this like five to seven year ooh, lease? Yeah, it's you scary. Know, just that it's like, OK, well, the pop ups going really well, but. You know, you're not thinking you're actually going to make money right. opening a restaurant, right? Right, right. I mean, yeah. So, Jen, do you think it's still true? You know, it used to be this idea that it, to open a restaurant, you needed to be able to have enough money in the bank for five years. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's still accurate or is it even is it really even more that you need to have more money set aside? Probably more. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I well, I don't know. I, I think every scenario is so different for sure. But you have to be prepared. You have to be prepared and you have to have good investors, um, you know, and you have to have good partners. Like that is the number one thing that I would say above anything else is, 
you know, making sure that you're not jumping into something that isn't solid, that isn't going to support you for the long run. And that you, you know, as far as partnership goes, whether it's an investor or a partner um, or a combination of both, you know, making sure that everyone has the best intention for what you're about to do. Because like we've said over and over, it is so hard. And so that's should be the least of your concerns. And that should be what's like building you up, you know, and supporting you more than anything else. And so to me, that's the advice that I always give. Like, don't don't jump into anything with an investor just to have the money. The money is not what carries you through. I mean, it, clearly it does. But like, that's not what it is that's going to get you from point A to B successfully. You know, it's like finding the right people. And I think that that's the problem that a lot of people get into is that they're just looking for that like $75,000, $100,000. So they'll just like go with anyone. And it's like, you have no idea what that's going to mean for you in six months, a year when you want to put this dish on or, you know, whatever. And so I think that that's the critical part when you're really looking at um, getting into this and, and doing it, you know, brick and mortar style. Do you suggest to people that they, um, when they're looking at partners and the partners, let's, you know, you say you find some investors that are flashing money, mm-hmm. that you really set them down and discuss what their true piece is going to be of the puzzle mm-hmm. and then you get it in writing, right? Mm-hmm. And you, you have to get it in it writing. Yep. Get all the legal pieces set yep. up, right? Oh yeah. But it's, it's not just, we'll deal with critical. that later. Well, let me take your money now and then we'll deal with that later. Uh-huh. It's like, no, 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 no. Mm-hmm. That's, That's already critical. a mess, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. You know, have those tough conversations. This is your, this is your business. This is your life. You know, I have made the mistakes over a couple of times of trusting the wrong people. It's not worth it. Because it's hard enough what we do. We all love it, you know, and so we want to do it every day. But be very clear on the people, you know, that you you jump into this with because you want to have fun with it. Like, you know, I mean, we're having a blast right now. And it feels so good to have worked really hard to get to this place, you know, for myself and for Doug and to have fun, you know. And if you are constantly like having to fix a partnership or be concerned about a partnership or try to find that money or whatever. It's just, it's not worth it. Right. And it won't last. It right? won't last. There's no way. Because yeah. if nothing else, you're diverted away from. Totally. The like focusing work. on what you need to focus on. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So in general, um, do you have next steps, next plans? Are you going to stay in Portland? What are you thinking about? Oh, Portland's my home. There's no, I mean, there nothing can pull me away from this city. I love it so much. It's, it's, yeah, this is it for me. Um, you know, m- my holler hospitality, our hospitality group, um, that's that's our plan. We we've got some things in the works. I'm sure you, know, you do. <laughs> but we're focusing on where we are. It took us a while to get to Bullard and Abigail Hall and good coffee, I should mention, um, in in the Woodlark Hotel. Um, so, you know, we're focusing on getting that really established and set and enjoying what that means, actually enjoying it. It's kind of not every day that you get to say that and with what we do. Um, and then moving to the next, you know, for us, we just want to stick with things that we know and love. We don't need to figure out how to fill a void that's out there that doesn't make sense for us. You know, Doug and I like simple food. I mean, it's not so simple when you actually have it, but like we're not trying to, you know, go out and, and um, try to figure out a concept um, you know, that, that doesn't remain or feel true to us. Right. I think you kind of touched on this with Riffle, right? Saying 
well, gosh, we should have the sustainable seafood place. Why isn't everybody doing this already? And then finding out, oh, there are reasons that these things, right? Because we kind of, I deal with, um, oftentimes as a culinary coach with makers who want to fill a void and there's the reason, there is a reason that the void exists. There is a reason the void exists. (laughs) And there's a reason why if other people try to fill that void and it doesn't succeed, it's because they're not meant to fill that void. You know, for us, it's like, I can safely say that there have been a few opportunities thrown at us since we've opened this in the last few months. It's happened a lot and that's great. But like every single one, we're like, no, no, no. Cause it, and and not every single one, I don't want to say it like that. And it's not like, you know, crazy amount. But my point is, is that we really look at it and we're like, can we do this? Does it make sense for us? Is it who we are? Cause if it's not, no, I mean, it just, it won't be honest, you know, it won't be true and it won't be as fun for us to do. Right. And what do you think about this? Um, You know, I hear people talk about this often about um, they don't want to be pigeonholed, Mm -hmm. right? Particularly outside of food and beverage, but around writers. Mm -hmm. So you've got writers who, let's say they write mysteries and they decide to write um, historical fiction or something Mm -hmm. instead. And they say, oh, I had to use a different name because nobody would take me seriously because they decided that I only write mysteries. Right. And I think that translates to a lot of businesses, sure. right? So it's like, oh, well, Jen, okay, she's in food and beverage. And you're like, well, I want to open an art space, let's say. Right. You know, um, do you think that you could make that leap if you wanted to? And it would it be difficult for your investors and your uh, the people in your life to, to follow along with that? Or would you even attempt it? I mean, if it was anything for me, it would be design. You know, it would be something that like already exists in my day to day, you know, so like, it's something that's already a passion of mine. It 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 comes out in our spaces, you know. I mean, having a heavy hand in that um, with with our team, our design team um, who put it together or who we worked with. Um, so it'd be something that again feels j- right along with what is already happening. It wouldn't be some crazy leap, you know. Um, well, into you do something. have your hands in everything, so I don't think anything would be too crazy. Well, I but don't know. Were, I mean, I don't know if you yeah. said, well, I'm going to design shoes that might be like, oh, wow, Jen, okay. Right. Oh, <laughs> but you don't could. take that off the table. <laughs> shoes for restaurants, like non... Oh. I'm not, I'm actually not going to say more because, no, oh. I'm just kidding. Because it's a, it might be in the works yeah, already. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, so, I mean, you know, w- again, we're just, we're not trying to make things harder than they need to be. So we're going to do things that like remain true to us. And that's like the best and easiest way that I can put it for sure. It's like with Doug, he's not going to fill a Chinese food void, right? Right. Because that's not what he's interested in or what he's about. Same thing for me. I'm not going to like jump and do something that, you know, feels totally crazy. Right. Well, I'm sure if you decide to do Chinese food, people will be very excited. I mean, I love Chinese Chinese. food. Exactly. (laughs) That could be pretty fun. It could be pretty fun. (laughs) Yeah. I think we'll stick to where we are right now for sure. And I want to go back for a minute to see if you um, would mind answering this. So you you said with your friends and family around Riffle that you mention it almost every day. Yeah. What are the kinds of things that you that are still that are still bubbling around in your head that come out? It's all about the culture I believe that we created there. That's what it is. Like, that's what I miss the most. And I think that what we're doing, I hope, you know, culture is everything to myself and Doug and, you know, creating like a really great place to work every day. And I feel like with all of the ups and downs of Riffle, that kind of remained true where everyone was very close, um, where everyone really enjoyed working with each other and have remained friends, you know, after and so I think that's probably what I talk about more than anything and refer to a lot and 
it's what we're trying to really bring forward and holler is just a great environment where people are appreciated, where we like, you know, love being with our staff every day and we want to make sure people are happy. We check in with them constantly to make sure that they're happy in their job. Um, and so that was like our number one, number one thing when we, you know, opened these places was, okay, let's make sure. And and I can feel it when I'm backing off on that. Like I can feel that I need to like check in with people because it's critical. You know, um, anyone who's worked in restaurants know that like once it starts that someone's upset, it can just take a place down. And I refuse, you know, to let that happen because I want to provide a great place for people to work. Right. Every day. So that's a positive of Riffle then was that you want to replicate the culture oh, that sure. happened there and that yeah. sense of community that you were yeah. able to. So you want to kind of overlay that now yes. onto your other projects. Exactly. Which is great. Yeah. And I think that Portland's such a great place about that idea of collaboration and community. It comes mm-hmm. up all the time. Sure. It's um, like what we thrive on here. Right. I think that is the way to do it. And it, again, what I'm you know saying is sort of a big town, small city, that collaboration is the key so that we can all have a place at the table. Mm-hmm. But if if you're not if you're trying to do solo projects only, that can be really challenging because there is there aren't enough people right. to make that happen for us all to be sustainable. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, I think we all deserve a chance to make a living, right? So we want to be able to do that in a way that uh, makes sense. And partnerships are really the way to go. Totally. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to ask one more question. You mentioned since you're so fully into hospitality. Yes. You mentioned that your grandmother and your mother were great hosts yes. and they were great at hosting. <laughs> so what are the things that for you that you, you know, keep in the back of your head all the time? Do they, that comes to mind about the two of them? Oh, wow. I mean, the two incredibly warm um, and social women. Um, I know we talked social butterfly in a different yes. way <laughs> earlier, but you know, that's something that's definitely um, come up for me my entire life. And I think, you know, I think it's the reason why I do this is the hospitality. I know it's why the hospitality side of it. And it's growing up in a very like social household. And my mom threw parties, both my parents, they, I mean, you know, they threw parties all the time. Um, And just for both of them, taking care of people, listening to people, you know, and like just creating like the best setting where people are comfortable and welcome. Um, you know, that is what's most important to me when I think about uh, Bullard Abigail Hall, whatever it is, making sure that we create a guest experience like where people are like genuinely welcome in a space um, by the way that they're spoken to, by the little details that we leave on the table, whatever it is. And that comes truly from my mom and my grandma, for sure. They thought about every single detail. I mean, I can tell you which platter goes with which salad you know, to the end of time because I learned those things from them. But it always came back to make sure that, you know, your guests are happy and well-fed and, you know, taken care of for sure. I think that's so important. And we often forget that, right? Because you get so busy with making sure that the food is hot. Right. You forget to, you know, say hello to your guests and make them feel like you're really excited to have them there. And they can feel that the second that that hospitality is lacking, people feel it, they start to get paranoid And that can go off in a really ugly direction really quickly. (laughs) Absolutely. Everyone, I mean, you know, it all works out in the end when you have a party or an event, whatever. I mean, you get so stressed about the little things and really you just want to create an environment that's fun and enjoyable for people, you know, to be spending their time for sure. Absolutely. I think that's that's what I look for. Yeah. And I think we're going to wrap it up here today at Right at the Fork. Thank you so much, Jen, for being here. This was really fun to get to spend time with you today. Absolutely. I appreciate it, Joy. And thanks again to Chris and to Court. Um, We're going to sign off for the day and happy Women's 
month. We've got a few more days to celebrate, ladies. So yes, let's get out do. there and have some food and drinks. Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Food Podcast PDX or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com. <laughs>